Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, today is Mission Sunday. I'm going to invite the ushers to come back and to receive your missions gifts in just a moment. Um, but we have an opportunity to give on the second Sunday of every month. We receive a missions offering, and I love this offering because none of it stays in the house. All of it goes out to support missionaries like Mike and Joyce Bond who have been working in the mission field. I love it today. We used to use this term, closed nations, but you know there's no nation right now because of technology that's really close to the gospel. The gospel is going forth through satellite, it's going forth through the internet, and people are being saved, amen? And so we have an opportunity to give this morning to see people reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray one more time for us, then the ushers will receive those missions gifts. You can also give through PushPay uh, specifically to missions today. But let's just pray before we uh, approach the word of God today. Lord, we thank you today for what you're doing around the globe, Lord God. We thank you for the opportunity to partner with missionaries like Mike and Joyce. We thank you for their faithfulness, Lord God, in in ministering the gospel to nations that were previously closed. We thank you for communities and lives that are being changed. And Lord Jesus, we do pray, especially as we approach the the month and the, the season of Ramadan, Lord God, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, do supernatural works among the Muslim people, Lord God, that you would continue to reveal yourself, Lord God. Use Mike and Joyce, use the other missionaries that we support, so many in these Muslim nations, to be a light for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the opportunity to partner with our giving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Praise God. Thank you for giving to missions today. Can we get some more light in the house? I want to see you guys this morning. We're going to jump into the word. And um, I'm, I believe this this morning. How many of you believe this, that final words are important? Right? Um, some of you, I, I know this has been a season of loss for many, but some of you have walked through a season where you know a loved one is, is going to pass on and you'll the conversations all of a sudden are not so light, right? You, you begin to talk about some, some deeper things, and final words are very important. And so I want to take you today to some of Jesus' final words, Matthew chapter 28. Okay, this is going to be our, our jumping off point today. Uh, this is after the resurrection of Jesus. It's before his ascension into heaven. Matthew chapter 28, going to begin reading there in verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. May God bless the reading of his word today. Jesus commissions his disciples, he commissions us to go. Because of his authority, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he says this, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given to you. Our mission statement as a church is simple. If you call Grace Point home, you ought to know this. Grace Point exists to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. This is not some idea that we just came up with in a brainstorming session. We said together, what would, be a good, what would be a good mission statement? No, no, no. It comes straight from this passage. Jesus said, go and make disciples. But this raises a question, doesn't it? A fundamental question. 
what does it actually mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? If we're going to make disciples, right, we, we need to know what a disciple is. When you think of the word disciple, what is the first thought that comes to mind? Do you think of someone with a halo around their head and uh, the first name is Saint, right? Saint Peter, Saint John, Saint Andrew. I always wondered, at what point do you get one of those circle things, right? Is that when you become a disciple, right? Is a disciple a special kind of Christian, like next level Christian, or is it a term that should be applied to all Christians? Simply put, a disciple is this, someone who adheres to the teachings of another. It is a follower, it is a learner, it refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else. And I want to say this this morning, you are by nature a disciple. Every one of us is a follower and a learner. Just look at your Instagram feed, I can tell you what you follow and what you're learning, right? We are by nature a disciple, and the only question is who are you following? I would also have to say that you have disciples. There are people who are following you, who are watching your life, who are being influenced by the way you live your life, whether you realize it or not. And the question is, how are you influencing the people who are watching you? Every one of us, young and old, believer or unbeliever, is engaged in some form of discipleship. Every one of us follows someone, and every one of us carries significant influence over someone else. Now, if we apply the idea of discipleship to Jesus, a disciple of Jesus is someone who learns from him how to live like him. Someone who learns from him how to live like him. Someone who conforms his or her words and ways to his words and his ways. Disciples of Jesus are themselves little Christ. That's where we got the word Christian from, you know that? Little Christ. We're getting ready right now to jump into a year-long discipleship series, and I I just feel really convicted that we would lean into our mission as a church even more. And so we're going to talk about what it means to be a disciple, but also what it means to be a disciple who makes disciple-makers. And so over this next year, we're going to be very intentional, okay, about this journey of discipleship. And I know we will discover through this journey that our primary objective as Christ followers is this, is to follow Christ. What a novel idea, right? And whether or not we are following Christ is evidenced by our obedience to Christ because we can't actually say that we follow Jesus if we don't go where he leads us. I have Waze on my, my iPhone. I use it for directions. You might have it on your Android too. I'm not sure if it works on that. Um, <laughs> But, but uh, sometimes I'll use the, the Waze app, right? And the purpose of the app is to lead me to where I'm trying to go. But I have to be honest, there will be, there will be times when I don't want to go the way it wants me to go because I think I know a better way. Anyone with me, right? That's what, what's it talking about? I know a better way. And at whatever point I, 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 know, I, I no longer follow that, I go my own way, I can no longer say I'm following ways, right? Oh, it's still in the car. It, it might even be turned on still. It's rerouting for the 18th time, right? But I've made a conscious decision to ignore its directions. Now, that's not really a problem in Rockin County. I grew up in Rockin County. I know my way around. But when I drive out of state, when I'm in the mountains of Vermont, Ignoring its directions could become a problem, right? 
And if there comes a time that Waze says, man, go straight, and I turn right, and I get lost, I shouldn't try to blame Waze, right? And there are times, let's be honest, that we do that with God, right? Like, he's still in our lives, he's, he's still giving us directions, but we deliberately and we consciously choose to ignore him. And then we get into trouble when we say, oh, God, how could you let this happen to me, right? And I, I can only imagine that he's looking down and saying, really? Like, you're blaming me right now, Right? And so our primary purpose as Christians is to be obedient to Christ. And so our prayer needs to be, Lord, don't let me stand still. Don't let me stagnate. Keep me growing. Keep me attentive to your voice. I hope that each of us as believers will be aware of the direction that God is leading us and that our desire will be to stay right in the center of his will. You see, we are responsible for the choices that we make and the choices we don't make. We live in a society that will tell you, oh, you can always blame someone else. But when it comes to our walk with Christ, we are responsible for the choices we make and the choices we don't make. And some of you in this room over this next year, you're going to continue to decide to follow Christ. And others of you, you're going to say, I'm going to take my chances on my own, Pastor. I'm good. Some of you will decide this next year, I'm going to go deeper in my walk with God. And others of you will say, no, I just want to keep it at a surface level. I'm good right here. But the decisions that you make, I want to tell you, will affect every area of your life. Because you cannot continue to be disobedient to the will of God in your life and expect to be full of joy. Instead, you will live a frustrated, unfulfilled life. You will fall into the category described by Peter Marshall when he wrote these words. He says, we are too Christian really to enjoy sinning and too fond of sinning really to enjoy Christianity. Most of us know perfectly well what we ought to do. Our trouble is that we do not want to do it, right? I want to tell you this morning, whatever decision you make, it will be your decision. Nobody else can make it for you. Your mom and dad can't make it for you. You will be responsible for the decision you make in regards to your walk with Jesus Christ. But the consequences of your actions will not be limited to your life, how you live as a Christian, The example that you set will have an impact on those who know you. And so I want to talk this morning about seven characteristics of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Seven characteristics of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you'll have to decide if this designation fits you or not. Write these down. Number one, a disciple knows about God. A disciple knows about God. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still... And know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. It is so vitally important for us to know about the God that we worship. To have a grasp on on what we believe in and why we believe it. In fact, we're going to spend the month of May talking about knowing God. What does it mean to know God? Now, some of you are sitting here this morning and saying, Pastor, that sounds like theology. And I'm just, I'm not into theology. I just want a personal relationship with God. Have you heard that before? I'm not into the, I just want a personal relationship with God. Listen, if you want a personal relationship with your spouse, but you don't want to have to get to know your spouse, okay, chances are that's not going to work out too well. I'm, I'm just saying, okay? And, and so theology matters. Theology matters. And theology simply means this. It means the study of God. And we all have views this morning in this room about who God is, right? And so we are all theologians. The question is not whether you're a theologian or not. It's whether you're a good theologian or not, right? Have you studied to understand who God is? Listen, if you're going to stake your eternity on something, 
you might want to know a little bit about the subject, right? I mean, you wouldn't buy a car without doing some research, and this is a much bigger issue than that, okay? Every Christian ought to know about the God that they worship. They ought to know that, that when we say in our statement of faith as a church, we believe that there is one God eternally existent in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What that means when we say that is that we don't believe that it's just one God, that he's the best God. It means we believe that he is the only God, right? It doesn't mean that our God is a better choice than Allah or Buddha or the, the gods that the Hindus worship. It means that we believe, no, there is only one God. Peter told the early believers in 1 Peter 3.15, he said this, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. How does that fit into your life? Are you always ready with an answer for the hope that you have? A disciple should know about God. We believe that Jesus Christ is God, a part of the Trinity. We, we need to know that Jesus Christ wasn't part God and part man. No, he was fully God and fully man, right, at the same time. And, and if we're going to learn about God, we will do that through his word. It's amazing because Christians as a group generally have a high regard for the Bible, but at the same time have a serious lack of knowledge about it. Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? I'll give you a hint that might make life a little easier for you. You won't always understand everything about God, but that doesn't mean you can't believe in him, okay? If I could understand everything about God, he wouldn't be much of a God, would he? I'll confess this morning I don't completely understand women, all right? Anyone with me? But that doesn't mean I can't believe in them, right? The concept of the Trinity, oh, man, that's daunting. I don't quite understand it. It, it doesn't always make sense, but yet I, I believe it, right? Most of us can't understand, let alone explain, Einstein's quantum theory of light. Maybe there's a few in the house, right? But this eventually led to the theory of relativity. You know it summed up as E equals MC squared. What does that mean? I don't know, right? I don't understand it, right? But if a nuclear device exploded outside of this building, my lack of understanding would not make that explosion any less real. Are you with me today? And, and so a true disciple will take time, and it will take time, will take the time and effort to learn about who God is. You can't simply rely on what others will tell you. You can't be spoon-fed forever. God has blessed you with an intellect, and he's blessed you with his word. And so put those together and see what he does. Secondly, I would say this. A disciple knows about God, but secondly, a disciple knows God. You're thinking, Pastor, you just said the same thing twice. No, I'm not, and I'll tell you why. There's a world of difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone, right? Let me illustrate. Some of you are sports fanatics, and you could tell me everything about the greatest basketball player that ever lived. His name is Michael Jordan, not LeBron James, okay? Michael Jordan is his name, all right? And if you're a sports fanatic, man, you could tell me where he went to college, you could tell me his stats, the number of championships he won. You may have a poster on your wall, right? 12 pairs of his sneakers, right? You, you can say you know all about Michael Jordan and still not know him personally. If you know him personally, let me know. I want to meet him, all right? Psalm 43.5 says this, I will put my hope in God. Amen. I will praise him, my Savior. He's my God. 
Over 600 times in the Bible, the word God is prefaced by either your or my, making it very, very personal. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 15, he says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I've told you everything the Father told me. Listen, you don't simply know about a friend, you know a friend. And and sadly, history is full of people who have mastered theology, but have failed to have a personal relationship with God. They knew all about him, but they didn't know him. I read this quote by Paul David Tripp this morning. He says this, Biblical literacy is not to be confused with Christian maturity. Homiletic accuracy is not the same as godliness. Theological dexterity is very different from practical holiness. Successful leadership is not the same as a heart for Christ. Growth in influence must not be confused with growth in grace. Listen, in the scheme of things, your eternity will be determined by how well you know God. Our personal relationship with God is a knowledge that moves beyond truth. It moves into a friendship with God. But, but how does that come about? In the third chapter of John, Jesus tells a man by the name of Nicodemus, right? He tells him about a second birth experience. John 3, 3. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is all confused. What do you want me to do? Climb back into my mother. How can I be born again, right? It's an inter- interesting interaction there. But understand this, the new birth is this, it's the beginning of that relationship with God. But what exactly is the new birth? The very term born again at times has had a negative connotation, right? Oh, you're one of them born again Christians, right? And sometimes you hear that, born again Christian or born again preacher, but really the term born again Christian is is just redundant, okay? Because if you're born again, you're by definition a Christian, right? And if you're a Christ follower, by necessity you are born again. Paul wrote this to the early church, 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And so beginning that relationship with God, it means a brand new start to your life. Are you a new creation this morning? Is the old life gone? Has a new life begun? Today, April 11th, do you know about God? But the more important question is, do you know God? Do you know him personally? Do you know him intimately? A disciple knows about God. A disciple knows God. And I would say this, a disciple knows God's people. The early disciples knew the importance about, of being together. The very name of the group church is from the Greek word ekklesia. ekklesia. The, the early church, they didn't want to reuse a word, a religious word already that used synagogue for, you know, synagogue, right? Instead, they used a secular word that was used by the Greeks to indicate an assembly of citizens, and it literally meant to call out. And so the word ekklesia was used by the early Christ followers. It, it meant called out ones, and it, it defined the gathering of Christians, and it, not, it never will be a solitary word. It's never a solitary word. The secular word was never applied to a single person, and in its new use, the early believers never intended it to be used outside of a group setting. 
And the genius of this word is that it applies to the fact that in the mind of God, the church of Jesus Christ is, is, is not made up of one person, but it's made up of people, amen? It's not just any person, it's made up of God's people. And listen, you may call Grace Point your church, and you may consider yourself a part of the church, and we want you to feel that you're a part of Grace Point, but to be entirely accurate, if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, if you haven't accepted his forgiveness and his grace, if, if you're not born again this morning, you aren't a part of God's family, which means you aren't a part of the church. We're glad you're here, and we want to see God work in your life. A.W. Tozer said this, 100 religious people knit into unity by careful organization do not constitute a church any more than 11 dead men make up a football team. He says the first requisite is life. Always are you born again? It was John Wesley who said the, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. The only growing, healthy, vital church is one that encourages God's people to be together, okay? And not just on Sunday morning. If, if you're going to maintain a vital, healthy relationship with God, that will only happen as you maintain a vital, healthy relationship with God's people, okay? I'm, I'm afraid this morning that some of you, uh, the only time you ever see fellow believers outside of Sunday morning is if you accidentally run into them at Home Depot. And that's always awkward, right? Because you're like, hey, brother, uh, right? <laughs> you don't know the name. You guys get off easy. like, hey, pastor, right? You don't know my name. And you're thinking, but pastor, I don't have any friends in this church. Let me say this. No saying is truer than this. You have to be a friend in order to make friends, okay? And you say, but pastor, I have nothing in common with the people in this church. Listen, if you have more in common with the world than the believers in this place, you're in trouble this morning, okay? Listen, I think for many of you, you became a believer, and you're on the other side. All of a sudden, you discovered, man you have very little in common with the group you used to run with, right? And it wasn't that you forsook him or ignored him, but you find out, man, I'm much more comfortable now with the family of God. There is something much greater that I have in common with the people in this room. And that's no accident. That's the way God planned it, amen? That's why he chose 12 apostles instead of one, right? That's why he sent them out two by two, not one by one. That's why there are 120 in the upper room and there were 3,000 born again on the day of Pentecost, not just one. And can I just say this this morning? We need each other. We do. We need each other to lift each other up, to, to build each other up. Ecclesiastes 4 9 says this two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in trouble. And as believers, we were never intended to try to do this alone. D.L. Moody said it this way, church attendance is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood to a sick man. Next, I would say this, that a disciple knows the power of faith. Faith, right? That, that elusive, mysterious, powerful quality that Paul defines in Hebrews 11.1. 1. He says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. The fact of the matter is that every disciple of Jesus Christ has access to the greatest power available in the world, it's faith. Understand today, there's nothing beyond the realm of faith. 
I truly believe this, that if more Christians were willing to step out and claim the promises of God, that this world would be an entirely different place to live in. I wonder what Jesus meant when he said in John 16, 23, at that time you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly and he will grant your request because you use my name. And, I, and with that in mind, I wonder what the angel Gabriel meant when he told Mary in Luke 1, for nothing will be impossible with God. Or what Paul meant when he wrote to the church in Philippi, he told them, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And you're thinking, well, pastor, it means exactly what it says. Then do we believe what it says, right? If we actually believe that it is the word of God and it's for us, then why do we act as if these promises apply to some other person in some other time? Jesus promised his disciples in John 16, 24, you haven't done this before, Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. Understand today, we are, if we're following Christ, if we're born again, we are his disciples. And and faith means that there will be times that you need to step out into the unknown and take some risks. Because by the very definition, if it doesn't involve some risk, then it doesn't require faith. Are you with me today? I believe one of the essential ingredients in Grace Point becoming the church that it's become so far is faith. It's been faith. Believing that God has promised and that God can deliver. And it's not simply the faith of a pastor or the faith of a leadership team, but it's been the faith of the disciples who have been a part of this church through the years. The early Christians, understand, were not afraid to exercise their faith And the earliest accounts of the church are filled with exciting accounts of faith. And remember, faith will never ask more than that you believe. And maybe we need to be like the man in Mark 9, 24 who said, I I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief, right? I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. A disciple knows the power of faith. And this, I would say this as well, a disciple knows how to live. A disciple knows how to live. Acts 17, 28, for in him we live and we move and we exist. Probably the most dramatic and visible evidence of the new birth is a whole new lifestyle. One of those verses we keep coming back to over and over again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has become. That, my friends, is the word of God. It's the word of God. And I've met people who profess to being Christians, who say they've been born again, and yet they live the same life they've always lived, and they do the same things they've always done. And if you confront them about their behavior, all of a sudden they get upset, and they quote the only Bible verse they know, which is about not judging, right? And yet somehow, from my reading of Scripture, I get the impression that if being born again doesn't make a difference in this life, it's not going to make a difference in the next life either. Because there needs to be a change of lifestyle that accompanies the change of heart. That's why the Bible differentiates between the acts of the sinful nature, right, and the fruit of the Spirit. Listen, there will always be areas in our lives which the Holy Spirit will correct us on, as long as we're alive, right? As long as we're in a relationship with God, he's always gonna point things out. Christ clearly states in John 14, 15, if you love me, what does he say? Obey my commandments. 
Remember in math, and for some of you this is going back a ways, but in math when we did it, right, there's a way of proving that a statement was true by reversing it, right? So one plus three equals four, right? Four minus three equals, come on, four minus three equals, thank you, thank you. And, and, and so I was, I was worried there for a moment, all right? So if Jesus truly meant what he said, then the converse of the statement would also be true, right? If you don't obey my commandments, you don't love me. Selah. Think about it, right? Let me tell you one principle of spiritual growth is that each of us in the room grows in our spiritual walk to our own personal level of disobedience. Let me explain. So we get saved, right? We're obedient to the spirit of God in our lives and we begin to grow. And God shows us this and and we deal with this. And he shows us that and we, we deal with that, right? And we continue to grow. And then one day God says, hey, but what about this area? <laughs> and it might be a problem with, with anger or pride or lust, habits in our life and immoral behavior, right? And we go, no, 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 Le- you, you leave that alone. And I want to tell you, at that point, your spiritual growth will stop dead in its tracks. Hear me today. Because we know that we are disobedient, all of a sudden we become grumpy, we become miserable, we become unhappy, right? And at that point, we have three options. One, we can just stay there. We can stay miserable. We can stay stuck. God won't take us any further in our Christian walk than that point of disobedience. Or we can say, you know what, forget this, and we backslide and we just walk away from God. Or the best option, we surrender to his will in our lives and we become obedient and We move on in our Christian life and we continue, listen, we continue to grow. And so here's a question for every one of us in every season of life. Write this one down, okay? It's worth the price of admission this morning. It's this, what is your point of personal disobedience? Because if you're stuck today, that's the reason why. You're stuck today, that's the reason why. But but maybe you've come to this place and you say, Pastor, I'm sold out to God and I'm growing right now. He's continuing to show me areas in my life that need to be dealt with, and I'm dealing with them. Man, there's no ifs, ands, or buts, right? No areas off limits. And that's what it means to follow Christ. Again, we cannot say we follow Christ if we don't go where he leads. We cannot say we follow Christ if we don't listen to what he says. Until you choose to submit to God's will, you will never experience all that he has for you. And you will never win if you pit your will against God's will. And so a disciple has learned the truth of 1 John 1, 6. So we, if we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. Finally, I would say this as the worship team comes back up. Finally, a disciple knows how to love. A disciple knows how to love. John 15, 12, Jesus said, this is my command. This is my command. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. These were some of the last words of Christ, and he he did not say, this is my commandment, volunteer in your church. That's great, you do. We encourage that here. He didn't say, this is my commandment, tithe. Obviously, we believe that's a biblical principle that we encourage here. He didn't tell his apostles, this is my commandment, attend church every Sunday. He didn't call us to judge one another or talk about one another. He didn't call us to put one another down. But he did say this in John 15, 12, this is my commandment, love each other. 
And how are we supposed to do that? Listen, in the same way. Wow, that's huge, right? In the same way that he loved you. Listen, the New Testament speaks a lot about love. As a matter of fact, the entire Bible speaks about love. It's mentioned over 700 times in Scripture in one form or another. Jesus tells us in Luke 10, 27, to love our enemies. And in Matthew 5, 44, we're, so, I'm sorry, Luke 10, 27, to love our neighbors, right? Matthew 5, 44, we're told to love our enemies. I get them confused because sometimes they're the same people, right? <laughs> Matthew 22, 37, we're told to love our God. John 15, 17, we're told to love other Christians. John 14, 15, we're told to love Jesus. Christianity is defined by love, or at least it's supposed to be. Yes, there have been instances in history that hatred has defined what was supposed to be Christianity, but that was a forgery because Christ told us in John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You ever notice if you ask someone if they're a Christian, they inevitably tell you where they go to church, right? But that wasn't the question. That wasn't the question, right? Like if I moved into a garage, it would not make me a car, right? If I set up in a tree, it, w- it would not make me a bird, right? And, and just because you go to church does not make you a Christian. And Jesus makes it clear that love is not theoretical. It's very practical. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells the story about the Good Samaritan. And the hero of the story didn't just talk about love. He didn't just describe it. He didn't rationalize it. He didn't Let me think about that for a while, right? Let me pray about love. He simply displayed it through his actions. And so a disciple knows about God. They know God. They know God's people. They know the power of faith. They know how to live, and they know how to love. Would you stand with me this morning as we close? As you hear those things today, maybe you would say, Pastor, I'm I'm just not there yet. So many areas where I seem to be off. I want to tell you, get ready to grow. (laughs) Get ready to grow. I want to invite you, each and every one of us, on a discipleship journey. And the only way to really get the most out of this is to get into a community group, okay? We're going to start these groups that will be meeting, some of them on Zoom. There will be a women's group that's meeting on Zoom. There will be other groups that are meeting here in the, the church on Wednesday nights and on Friday nights second and fourth weeks of the month twice a month for two hours that's four hours out of your month to talk about how we live this some of you watched that Zack Snyder cut that was four hours in one shot man I'm just saying you can make time for what is important to you and so I want to encourage you to join us on this journey we're going to grow We're going to talk about about knowing God. We're going to talk about hearing his voice. We're going to talk about living by faith and advancing the kingdom of God with our lives. We're going to talk about how do we live in a relationship with God, but also with each other in this place. And so right now, I mean, you can grab your phone. You can go to our website. You can sign up for a group online, especially if you're watching online. Just scroll down the page, click on join a group. But if you're in the house, I would encourage you as you leave today in the lobby, There's a number of sheets out there. You can sign up with an old school pen and paper, okay? Uh, Sign up to be a part of one of these groups. We're going to close with a song. And as we do, I want to take you back to that question that I asked earlier. And I want you to bring it before the Lord this morning. Especially if you feel stuck today. Especially if you feel like, I'm just not growing with God the way that I want to. 
Ask him in this moment, heads bowed around this room. Father, what is that point of personal disobedience for me? Lord, where are you speaking? And I'm not responding. Because again, we can't actually say that we follow Jesus if we don't go where he leads. As we close with a song this morning, I know it's running a little later than usual, but these altars are open. If, if you want to make a fresh commitment to follow where Jesus leads, just come. We, we have leaders that would love to just place a hand on you and just pray for you. Pray that the Holy Spirit would lead you and that this next season for you would be a season of growth in your life like you've never seen before. If you want to say, Jesus, I give you every, access to every area of my life, just come as we close. These altars are open. Just, just seek him this morning where you're at or make a move to these altars. Listen, there's nothing magical about the front here, but sometimes the physical step allows a shift spiritually, doesn't it? To say, God, I'm stepping out. I'm stepping out to follow you. So as we close, let's worship him today.